Amen. Romans chapter 10. Just prepare you right now. We might go over a few minutes, okay? We had communion. It always We always go over on communion Sunday. And I'm about 15 minutes behind right now. So I'll do my best to get us uh, close uh, because uh, I value your time, but I know the Lord wants us to go through this together. So it might be a few minutes over. So Romans chapter 10 is where we're picking up. We just finished... Uh, reading, and we've studied through the first eight chapters. We see so much of Christian doctrine being established through those first eight chapters. Chapter nine, uh, we studied last week with a great emphasis. Uh, the the emphasis itself was on Israel's past election. Uh, that that wasn't about personal pre predestination. That's about the the God being uh, choosing Israel to be the conduit that He wanted to work through His chosen people. Chapter 10, Israel's rejection of the truth is what we're going to study today. And uh, Next week, Lord willing, we'll be in uh, chapter 11, Israel's future restoration. God is not done with Israel. No matter uh, who may have told you that, uh, they were wrong. Um, and we can say, uh, no, the word says differently. So God is not done. He has not replaced uh, Israel. We are in the church age right now. So a little bit of recap from last week. Paul ends chapter 9 by, by saying this in verse 30. What should we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, had not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So when he picks up in verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So he just said that. He's just explained that the Gentiles who weren't seeking God attained uh, salvation, righteousness, uh, through faith. But Israel, trying uh, in their own works to attain righteousness, had not attained righteousness because they had rejected Jesus Christ. The stumbling block is what it's saying here. The stumbling stone, uh, the rock of offense. They missed the whole point, if you want to put it that way. So when we see here in Acts chapter 9, uh, uh, sorry, in, in, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Paul starts off what we know as, as chapter 10 very in a very similar way uh, to uh, how he started Romans chapter 9, right? Because he starts saying, I wish that I could be accursed. If, if, you know, if I could, I would be accursed that my uh, brethren would come in. He's talking about the Jews, uh, Israel, would come to the knowledge of, of the truth and they'd come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But he describes at the end of chapter 9, but they stumbled on the stumbling stone, the rock of offense, Jesus Christ. And he ends verse 33 of They didn't have these. It wasn't like he was sitting down writing those verses. They were added for reference many, many years later. But as we're reading this letter that was one continual work, we see uh, that uh, where it was broken up, it, it starts off with that same uh, mindset here, that, that his, his heart is so burdened. 
they had rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. And, and there's a blessing for us. Uh, when we just read 9.33 where it says that whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. We're not going to be put to shame if we believe in Christ. The world may shame us, but uh, in, in our relationship with the Lord, we're never going to be ashamed of that. And he says that the, the desire of his heart and prayer to God uh, is for Israel. Now, speak of a godly desire. This is selfless and loving, you know, opposite of the way the, wor <clears throat> the world works, right? You know, the world will say, you know, look out for you. Make sure you're doing well and everything. And what he's saying here is, man, my heart is broken. And my prayer is, is for Israel uh, to come to the knowledge of, uh, of Jesus Christ, to, to be saved. You know, it, we, uh, when we understand that God's desires, when, when our life is right with him, when our relationship with, with him is right, then God's desires become our desires, right? You're probably familiar with uh, Psalm uh, 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. It's, that's not like uh, what that means is if God is your delight, your desires are going to change and then you're going to get those godly desires. It's not like, hey, God's going to give me everything I desire. All I need to do is just keep asking and everything. And he's going to give me the car. He's going to give me all that. We've seen the prosperity doctrine, right? We've seen that just go. No, the delight. God wants to be our delight. He doesn't want us to delight in these earthly things. The houses, the cars, they're all gone. We're not like riding them up to heaven, right? You know, it's it's not like in you know you know uh, there's that, that Disney uh, show where uh, they this old man doesn't want to leave his house, so they ties a bunch of helium balloons to his house so he can float away. Right? We can't do that. None of that. All this stuff is just going to burn up. We're not going to look back and be like, man, I really you know heaven's great, but you know I really miss my truck. You know, don't get me wrong, I love driving my truck, but I'm not going to miss it. Right? Godly desires. And his godly desire was that Israel would be saved. The people of Israel would come to know Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted. Now consider, we talked a little bit about it last week. These were the ones that, that he was a persecutor of the church. And man, did Israel persecute him when he became a Christian, right? And he's talking about, and, and, and Paul went through a lot. Paul ended up losing his life for, for serving God, for preaching the word of God. So he says his, his desire and prayer. Now that prayer, the seeking of God's face, face with godly desires. Don't ever like underestimate what prayer. Prayer is petitioning the God of all creation. Where we're going. Somebody tells you they're praying for you. Don't take that lightly. Stop and look at them right in the eyes and say, I greatly appreciate it. That means something. That means that in their private time with the creator, they're mentioning your name. They're mentioning your name, saying, Lord, would you please minister? Lord, would you, you know, those things. That's a, that's a powerful thing. And what Paul is saying is, in my prayer time, I'm praying for Israel to repent. That's a great love that, that's being displayed by this man. Became quite a shepherd, uh, as we saw last week, too. His great prayer and desires for Israel to come to salvation. He's burdened for them. That deep, heartfelt uh, desire and prayer for him is that they may be saved. I think many of us can relate to that uh, if we have loved ones that aren't saved, right? And, and we've been praying for them for years. Don't lose heart. We can't lose heart, right? Paul doesn't say, yeah, I gave up on him, not praying for him anymore, <laughs> right? What's he saying? No, he's diving in even more. Paul was a man of prayer.
Learn a lot from him. When he says save, that's saved from the penalty of the sins. Begun a relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what he wants. He wants Israel to be forgiven, restored, begin a relationship with God. Because what they were doing was just works. They, oh, yeah, I'm all set. I got all these check boxes. I got my, my checklist here, right? I got it all. I used to, my, job, my old job, it was all checklists. And I loved it. My boss showed me checklists, and she's like, hey, this will help you get through this process. This will help you get that through that process. When I took over as a superintendent, I'm telling everybody, hey, we got checklists for this, this, and this. And it wasn't like we have 15 million of them, but we'd include it all so that, and so that a recruiter would learn what they needed to do, right? That's, that's for a process. For a relationship with God, we don't need to do all that. We just seek him. We walk him. We walk with him. We follow him. We, we turn from our sin, turn from our wicked ways, and walk with him. One big check mark, saved. It's all we want. Verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are seeking to establish their, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So Paul bears witness of their great zeal for God. Paul understood their, their great zeal. right? Paul was a, a, a zealous man in and of himself. Until he met Jesus Christ and everything changed. Paul had this to say about himself. Galatians chapter 1 verse 14 says, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You know, Paul, as we know, was so zealous that he describes himself in Philippians 3 as one that was persecuting the church. This man was zealous. He understood zeal. He understood it. And he's saying, these guys are zealous, but they missed the point. They, they, they missed everything. He states, their zeal isn't according to knowledge. They're very religious, you know, self-righteous in their own works. That's, that's essentially what their problem was, right? Works-based righteousness. They believed that uh, the, they, their works would equal right standing with God, and that is, is not the case. They had all the scriptures, they had the prophets, you know, ministry, they had all these things, but had missed the Messiah when he came. John chapter 1 verse 11 says, uh, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He came, he's standing right, right amongst them, and they didn't even recognize him. Their zeal isn't according to knowledge. Israel wanted political salvation from the Romans, but uh, they didn't feel that they needed spiritual salvation. So they just figured, hey, you know what? We're we're uh, sons of uh, of Abraham. We're we're all set. We're good to go, and we're doing these good works. and And they missed it all. You know, they would have looked at the Gentiles as uh, those living without God that would uh, that would need Him, but they couldn't look at themselves and say, yeah, yeah, I need I need God. You know, I need Jesus Christ. They wouldn't do that, and they didn't because they didn't understand the Scripture. They didn't want to submit to the truth of the Scripture. So in so doing, they missed Jesus Christ. They didn't want to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So they just rejected him. Verse 3 says, They were ignorant of God's righteousness and sought to establish their own righteousness. Not because they uh, had never heard, right? You know, they, they had heard, but because they refused to learn. That was the problem. It wasn't that Israel hadn't heard the word of God. It was that they refused to learn. That's, that's where the danger is. 
right? Be hearers of the word, uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only, right? What James tells us. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. You know, we can hear things and nod and, and, and be like, yeah, you know, I get it. I get it. Yeah, that's awesome. Great for that guy. But I'm all set. I'm good. That was the mindset. I'm good. You know, I, I, I've, I've got the right name. I was born into the right family. Uh, and I do all these good things. I'm going to be all set. I'll be good to go. And, uh, and, and they missed it. They, uh, you know, when you consider it, it is possible for somebody to be ignorant of the righteousness of God if they've never heard. That wasn't the case for them. They had heard. They just rejected it. Refused to learn. It heard many times, but were proud and stubborn against the truth and, uh, and would not submit. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of, of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So in their own, trying to, where it says in verse 3 here that they were trying to establish their own righteousness through the law. But if you combine that with what we just read in, uh, from Romans chapter 3, verse 20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So we can't do enough good to cancel out the bad, right? I, I, I know these faces. I know that we understand these things. But Paul is firmly establishing this so that we understand it, right? We can sit here if we've studied through this and we understand these things. It's because of what we've read and how the Holy Spirit has taught us and, and, and we're learning and we're growing. But we always we should always be careful of the heart that that would grow prideful, and uh, that we would say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a pretty good Christian, you know, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that, and I am doing this and I am doing that. That we lose sight of how we were justified uh, in front of the Father, and that's by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. Because if we go the other road, yes, we should be, there should be growth. We should not be doing those things. And we should be doing uh, the good things to serve God and to praise him. But if that becomes where we're finding comfort and we think, oh, yeah, God, there's no way God would, would ever turn me away when I get there because I've done those things. That's where we're turning into, you know, our heart is turning into the heart of a Pharisee. We're going to be judgmental against others, right? <clears throat> And to find ourselves in those spots, so we have to be careful uh, of, of of our own hearts that we wouldn't forget the fact that it's grace that has saved us. You know, we'd be wise to learn from them. You know, when when we see Israel and and we see why they, you know, why they rejected Christ and why they uh, didn't come to uh, submitting to the Word of God. They'd heard it several times, but they weren't submitting to it. We need to learn from their mistakes, right? You ever, you ever experienced that? There were people that I saw destroying their lives in my life. I'm like, hey, I'm going to learn from that person because I don't want to go through that. And I'm sure somebody looked at me and be like, yeah, John's doing that. I'm not going to do that. You know, he's, he's being stupid. Hopefully that's way past, right, for me. I, sh I shouldn't, shouldn't be up here if that's the, the case for me now. But we have to understand we lose our joy and uh, we mess up our relationship with the Lord and with everybody else when we lose sight of grace and we lose sight of faith and walking with the Lord. We should do good works. You know, faith should produce good works in us, but we can't trust in them. We can't be using them to establish our own righteousness. It can't happen according to Scripture. We should learn from Paul's example. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 say, but what things were gained to me, 
These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that righteousness which that righteousness which is from God by faith. There is, uh, so that's that's a powerful thing. So if you're a note taker, understand when you couple those things together. That took a man like like Paul who would have trusted in uh, in all of his religious activities. I was born of this family. I was circumcised the eighth day. I did all these things. But it, but what he he goes on to say is that they all meant nothing. I count them as rubbish. They don't they don't mean anything. And he says uh, here and be found in him. That's that's guys. That's the whole goal. If, if that's what's on my gravestone that says he, you know, John Sear, you know, born this day, died this day, he was found in him, found in Christ. Perfect. That that's the perfect summary. You know, I just oh man, found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. No. That righteousness which is through faith in Christ. Righteousness which is from God by faith. So there is no righteousness with God outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He doesn't say, I am a way. He says, I am the way. Right? When you start putting definite articles and things, that's making a statement. I am the way. Jesus Christ is the way. So Israel thought that they, uh, you know, that they uh, were where they needed to be with God, but uh, you know, based on their works. But they deceived themselves. Many times in the Scripture, we're told, "Do not be deceived." Think about that. Why would that be there? Because we can be deceived, right? Look all the way back, the Garden of Eden. Eve was deceived, right? And, and really, what she thought she was asking for was a god. She thought it was a godly desire. Well, why wouldn't I want to know more about God, right? We can be deceived. Don't be deceived. So let this be a lesson for anybody who's rejecting the word of God, comforting ourselves that we're good enough. There is no good enough. You know, there is, as it says in Romans three twenty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight. It doesn't say like only a few people. This is no flesh, no flesh. Take the route that Paul did when he when he learned this, right? And he wrote this in his letter to the the church at Philippi. He's saying, no, it's all about uh, obtaining that righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes through God, from God by faith, right? Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If there was any question what he's saying here, he, he's, he's making this strong point right here uh, with, a, with a big, ex, a big uh, period at the end of it. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We've studied through Romans, right? And that's what we're doing as we're progressing through. The, Romans uh, describes, uh, sorry, Galatians describes that the law was a tutor. It was a schoolmaster. It was something to point us in the direction of Jesus Christ. Romans 7.12 says, therefore, uh, by, therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. 
You know, the law points us to our need for a savior because there was the, the Paul was saying that, you know, some may have some questions and say, wait a minute, if, isn't the law wrong then? Like, what's going on with it? No, 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 no. He says the law isn't what's wrong. It's us, excuse me, that are wrong. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the law itself is holy and the commandment is holy and just, right? As it says in Romans 7. So the law isn't the problem. It's trying to establish our own righteousness with God uh, is uh, through works is the is the problem. But when he says this, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. This means that Christ fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, right? We've seen um, uh, so many times in our studies, and we're going to get to a few references in here, but there's no way to gain uh, righteousness with God through the works. Through works. We already said that, right? Jesus is the way. There is absolutely no way. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation, right? Acts uh, 4.12, um, I think I have that somewhere in here, uh, says that there's no, uh, no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. That's it. There's one name. I like the simplicity, and I like the exclusivity of it, right? There's one way. One way. Might be... Consider closed mind. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't want to have an open mind to anything other than the truth. I'm going to close my mind right off to the lies. I encourage you to do the same. You know, when you consider Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, you consider that veil in the temple, right? John chapter 19 describes that, you know, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, it says in the end of chapter 19 of John, and it says that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus asked and asked for and received sour wine, and then he said, "It is finished." What he meant was the righteous requirement of the law was now fulfilled, because right when we've gone through and we're studying the burnt offerings, right, we're, we're in the sin offering, right, specifically those two. When you're considering, when, when you get to those and you, and you consider what those things symbolized, that whole, the whole thing would be burnt and consumed up. Jesus Christ, throughout his life, the, the spotless one, right? Because there was an inspection when uh, there was a burnt offering, a sin offering, that the, the priest would have to do. And it wasn't an inspection of, of the sinner. They're there because they're a sinner, right? Uh, so there was no inspection needed. Oh, you're bringing in sin offerings. Okay, are you a sinner? Right? There was no question. Right? What needed to be inspected was the offering because it needed to be pure. It needed to rightfully symbolize Jesus Christ, the pure one dying for us. And when we consider that veil, that veil that separated God from man that was torn, Jesus Christ being the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, if we, if we, if we understand what that means, the perfect sin offering was then complete when Jesus said it is finished. It, it's complete. That's why the veil tore. The, the, the law was fulfilled. There was no longer, because we're studying, right, in, in, in Leviticus, those things were required because of sin. And when Jesus Christ has fulfilled the, the righteous requirement of the law, those things don't need to happen anymore. It's all about faith in Jesus Christ. So that veil of the temple that represented the separation between God and man, you know, think of all the religious uh, 
uh, rituals and sacrifices, they were all pointing to Jesus. And when that veil was torn, it was a statement. There's no longer a separation. All the righteous requirements were fulfilled. Those that inherit Christ's righteousness now have direct access to the throne room of God. That's a statement. When, when he confesses those words, right? When you look in, the, in, in John chapter 9, when he confesses those words, and he says, it is finished, to die, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a declaration. It is finished. It's done. He didn't say to be continued. He didn't say, like, I did my part, guys. Now you got to do yours, right? He said, it is finished. It's done. There is no more separation between God and man. They can just come to God. Just believe in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself said that he didn't come to destroy the law in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or uh, one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. In Romans chapter 8, a few weeks ago, we would have read this. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned in the flesh, that, uh, sorry, on the account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So when Paul is talking about, uh, you know, that the 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 Jews uh, were were trying to uh, uh, obtain this righteousness uh, and uh, and establish their own uh, righteousness with the Lord uh, through their works, it's it can't be done. Right? The Jews uh, tried to do it, but it's all about Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who, and he says, uh, the man who does those things shall also live by them. So uh, Moses here, uh, so Paul's quoting Moses, and he says, if one wanted to follow the, the law for righteousness, they must do it completely and do it perfectly. So you want to do it, you know, as Moses wrote, you know, the, the, the man who does these things shall live by them. But what if they break them? Because James chapter 2 verse 10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. There was that one time, yep, guilty, done. <laughs> Absolutely no way to make it right. No way to make it right. The law is perfect. There are none that can fill it. Isaiah 64 uh, says that the works of the unclean are like filthy rags. Right. So you're going to try to do all these works. Well, according to God, uh, you know, the, the, these these uh, those that are unclean, their their good works don't mean anything, anyways. They're filthy rags. They don't mean anything. So if you're not going to keep the whole law completely, and you've broken it in one, you've broken all of them. Now this is this is uh, you know like actual literal and spiritual, right? Consider uh, even even the Ten Commandments, right? One, uh, I am the Lord your God, and you should worship me only, right? There's one God, no other God before me. 
And then if you get into thou shalt not covet, right? So what if somebody covets, <laughs> right? Ever put something above God in your life? Well, broken that one too, right? They're spiritual things. There were literal things that, no, you're not supposed to steal, right? But if you're stealing in your heart, you know, not commit adultery, you're committing adultery in your heart, right? There were the, the things that can be uh, carried out literally and, and those things that were spiritually. And, they, you know, you break one, you break them all. Stand guilty before the Lord. Verse, <clears throat> verse 6 says, But the righteousness of faith uh, speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. So fall, uh, Paul uh, informs uh, them of, uh, of you know, what, what this is speaking of, and he, he points to Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, verses 11 through 14, and they're probably going to be up there. It says, uh, for this is the commandment which I command you today is uh, not too much, uh, sorry, I'm going to start over. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven uh, for us and bring it to us, that we may be near it and, and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth, and in your heart that you may do it. So Paul's explaining that righteousness by faith isn't too difficult to understand. Israel had the word of God clearly explained to them. Right? Israel did. It wasn't too, like Moses said, it's not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It wasn't far for them, and it wasn't hard to understand. But he said it was very near. It can be received into your heart. He doesn't mention works at all. You know, it's all about a matter of our heart, a matter of faith. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Paul ties what's said in Deuteronomy chapter 30 with uh, his message. And he says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. You know, it's the word of faith which he, which we preach, he goes on to say. You know, just as it was near and clear before, you know, Paul's message was very clear that righteousness with God uh, was available to all who would believe in Jesus Christ through faith. He's making it very clear to them. There isn't this great mystery. Paul's speaking very clearly, and he even says that. I, that uh, there's a time where, where Paul even describes, look, I didn't come to you with these, you know, uh, we can we can consider, I'm going to totally paraphrase because I can't remember his exact wording, right? Uh, not saying I didn't come to you in excellence of words trying to impress you and everything. Paul is saying I came to you with the simplicity of the gospel. I spoke to you just simple. That's what God, God's word is, is uh, there are some great complexities in it, some things that are really going to be like, whoa, that's awesome and everything. But understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ very simple. We're sinners. We need to repent. And when we do and we turn to Jesus Christ, we're saved. And then we begin a relationship with him and we walk with him. Verse 9 says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe within our, in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. So Paul flat out gives the answer plainly. I'd love to have him as a teacher in my class. Right? 
That's kind of like the open book uh, thing. I, I used to love that, right? Yeah, it's open book test, sweet, and I'd still not do well on it because <laughs> I didn't ever open the book. I probably left my book at home. But he gives the answer right there, just flat out. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. It's not about just, <clears throat> just confessing it and not believing it. It's not about believing it and never confessing it to the Lord. It's both of those things coming together. So we, you know, we can confess those things to the Lord privately in prayer. We can confess him uh, publicly after we begin a relationship with him, right? Matthew 10.32 says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Yeah, this is speaking of a confession uh, of who Jesus Christ is. But once we know who he is and we've taken on his name in our lives, then we confess it and we share and we spread that word so we wouldn't just be those that are sitting privately saying, well, I've got my own private faith, and hopefully someday they'll come. And they're like, man, I wonder if there's any way I can be forgiven of my sin. And you're sitting there eating your sandwich like, oh, should I tell them or not? Yes, right? We've talked about the softballs God tosses us. That's one of them. Crank it. Drive it right out. Important to do so. The end of verse 9 says, and believe in your heart. So confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Believe that God, that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, right? When, when Jesus was walking by and John the Baptist says to his disciples, he goes, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus's whole ministry is drawing people to him. And he's telling them that he is the savior of the world and that God raised him from the dead. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection many times. It wasn't like it was something that ha happened to him and this awful thing that he had no control over. No. Remember, he, said, he even said, I could call legions down from heaven and just wipe you guys out if I wanted to. But he knew he was here on a mission to die for us. And he went, submitted his own will to the fathers, and went and died for us. He accomplished it, right? It was witnessed by many. So a few verses from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4 say, For I delivered to you... First of all, that which I also received. So Paul's saying, hey, I told you the same thing that I heard and, and that I learned, that Christ died for the sin for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. He goes on in that same chapter in verses 14, verse 14, and we're going to look at 17 right after that. He says in verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. He also goes on in verse 19, says that we're most pitiable of all if we believe that Christ is risen and he's not. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you believe the gospel message, then what's going to come out of it, right? Remember Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, that, oh, I believe it. Right, your heart being just overwhelmed by uh, by the gospel, and you say, you know what? I believe that. I confess him as my savior. Right? We confess him. It says, and and uh, this ends this this uh, actual verse nine ends by saying, you will be saved. You will be saved. So uh, verse nine says that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Not might be. There's a possibility. It says if says if your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. 
First John chapter five, verse 13, John wrote these things who, who spent, uh, who, who walked with Jesus throughout his whole ministry, right? John, who was once a son of thunder, uh, now, when, when you look back and you start reading John's, uh, John's things, because son of thunder, because he and his brother wanted to call down, they were like, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven? Settle down, guys, all right? Right? Then you look at the transformation in John's life as he submitted to Jesus Christ, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit had his way in John's life. John would go and he'd preach to churches and just say, my brother, love one another. And that was his message. Right, there, you know, church history tells us that. But if you, all you got to do is open up his letters, and all you see, love, 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 love. It's not smite, 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 like it was before. His life had changed, right? So John wrote this. First John chapter five, thirteen says, "These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, that you can know, right?" Uh, Paul, I, I, I Will shared this with us, and it's it's stuck in my brain, and I'm so glad that it is. That right here, that we can know. There's no more question. If I'm standing in faith in Jesus Christ, that if I believe in Jesus Christ, that He is who He says He was, that He's the Messiah, the 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 Savior of the world, and that He came, He lived a perfect life, died in my place rose again three days later, and that he's returning. If I, if I believe all those things, if the Bible says that, I, then we'll be saved. Not just a head knowledge, but if you believe, you actively believe that, and you live your life out believing that, you will be saved. Saved, right? Verse 10. For with the, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It doesn't say here, not works of the flesh, right? It doesn't say, oh, but, you know, by the works of the flesh, one uh, uh, you know, comes to righteousness. No, we become debtors uh, once we start trusting uh, in the, the law uh, for salvation. But it says, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. It's by faith in Christ that righteousness is, finally, is, is imparted to us, right? Romans 5 tells us, but therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified by faith, you know that that justification that that word means a declared righteous. We've been declared righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. You know we, you know this doesn't say that you know with the works, um, you know we we can be saved. No, it's about trusting in Jesus Christ. And with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know confessing what we believe in our heart that we can be saved. From the penalty and power of sin, not only just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin also. Then we just once we've been saved from the penalty of sin, we can go to the Lord and say, God, I'm your child. Can you please deliver me from this? And God will start his work. He's already started it, if you're asking, right? It's his goodness that calls us to repentance. Begin our relationship with him. Verse <clears throat> verse eleven. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is over all, uh, Lord uh, over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He's quoting Isaiah 28, verse 16 there. And he goes on to say, Jew and Greek. He's talking about there's uh, no distinction between Jew and Greek. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 29 told us, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he uh, not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. You know, that there's the, the, the wonderful uh, comfort in knowing that salvation is for all, all of us. It's not just, uh, it's for the Jew and the Gentile. He goes on to say, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, quoting Joel chapter uh, 2, verse 32, whoever. We've talked about that several times in John 3.16. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? That whoever shall be saved. I love those. You guys notice Paul saying shall be saved, shall be saved. He's making a point. I wonder if he wrote this in all caps, if they had caps and, you know, I don't know. But if we were typing it today, I think it would be in, in all caps, right? <clears throat> Verse 14, how then shall they call upon him who they have not believed? So we're going to see Paul's missionary heart revealed right here. And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You know, when we consider the, uh, the gospel went to the Jews first, and then uh, to the Samaritans, and then uh, the, we're considered half-breeds, the half-Jews, and then to the Gentiles, right? But how are any of them going to hear unless somebody goes? And he quotes Isaiah 52. And in Isaiah 52, it, it states that how beautiful are the feet. Those that would spread the gospel. Those feet are beautiful to the Lord. Beautiful. I don't know about you guys, but I've never really looked at people's feet and been like, that's a beautiful foot. Right? This is talking about, the, a, 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 a yes, those feet, those, those people that are willing to go to wherever it may be. You know, most of us will look at a foot and go, it's smelly and stinky, and I don't want anything to do with it. God says, no, 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 no. Those that are preaching the gospel, those, those are beautiful feet. Because, you know, they're uh, really carrying out their highest calling. There's nothing more important a foot can do than walking around to spread the gospel. There's, there's nothing that's going to that's gonna surpass that. There's nothing more. You can do great things with your feet. I was at a track meet yesterday, and I'm amazed at how fast some of these feet are, right? And these, these kids running around tracks, and they're running, and they're jumping 30 feet, doing a triple jump and all these things. I can't run, and I can't jump. I wouldn't have been good at track. But I'm amazed, right? We can look at what somebody's feet can do. You know, they might climb Everest, do all these things. The best thing a foot can do is be involved with spreading the gospel. And God says those feet are precious. They're beautiful preaching the gospel, the good news of peace. That peace with God that we already talked about from Romans 5, being justified by faith. We have peace with God. Considering being sent out, Paul's talking about how are they going to hear unless somebody goes and tells them. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, Jesus said, Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Like the harvest field, the field is ready. Ask God to send out people. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, if you're wondering if you should ever preach the gospel, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you uh, always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So this is, I, I love the Great Commission because it doesn't just say go and preach. It says make disciples. Once somebody's heard the gospel, then you need to tell them, okay, this is how you walk with God. This is where, okay, let's grab our Bibles, right? Or for them, grab your scroll, right? Open it up and we're going to look at Isaiah or whatever. We're going to look right here. Or uh, even in back in that day, you know what? I learned about Jesus Christ and they're sharing these things. Or This is what I saw Jesus do, making a disciple. Because Jesus said, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. How are they going to hear if nobody tells them? Right? Isn't it great? Because God could have just written out everything in the, in, in the stars and in the sky and not involved us at all. But God wants to use, he wants to use our own stories. Right? He wants us to go and share our own relationship with, with, with the Lord with other people. That he would actually use us. Not only does he want to save us, make us his children, he wants to use us. Right? We can be like arrows in his quiver, right? And just send us out. We go out and we spread the gospel. We do his work. He's so good. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And he's speaking of Isaiah 53. And Isaiah was speaking of Israel seeing Christ's miracles and refusing to believe. Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. And how do we hear uh, the gospel? Through hearing the word of God. Then we come to faith when we hear the truth, right? Jesus said in, in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Once we know the truth, the truth is what sets us free. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. So how do we? How does our faith grow by the word of God? Paul wrote in uh, his letter to Timothy, in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen, says, "But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ." He had been learning of these scriptures. You know, Timothy had. And Paul is reminding him, hey, those scriptures that you learned, just hearken back to those. those. Those ones from the childhood. You know, the ones that you've known. The holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Hearing the word of God. Letting the word of God... Because then, once we've, we've come to faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Once somebody has, has, notice it doesn't say faith comes by seeing. Because how many people witnessed what Jesus Christ did and still rejected it? They witnessed what he did and they still rejected it. We're never going to be convinced. Anybody that we're ever sharing the gospel with is never going to be truly convinced. They're never going to come to faith by what they can see. They have to hear the word. That when the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, they can see something, and that might be something to point them to it. But what's going to spark the faith in them is the word of God. And you can say, you know what that was? That was to point you to this. And you can share the word of God with them, and then they come to faith, right? 
Then we come to faith. And then the word of God, it's it we understand it more and we 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 come to understand that it is so valuable to us for correction, for reproof, uh, you know, in and, and that whole line of things that Paul lists on there. Right? We can find comfort in the word of God, find peace in the word of God. Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone through all the earth and their words uh, to the end of the world. He's quoting Psalm uh, 19, verse 4, with the emphasis there being the revelation of God. Israel had heard and was guilty of rejecting God's word. Verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? For Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger uh, by a foolish nation. He's quoting uh, Deuteronomy uh, 32, uh, Moses' song. What a powerful, what a wonderful song to go through and read. Go through and read it, but you're going to find that listed in there. And what a wonderful grace that God didn't strike him dead. He didn't strike him dead, but he, he used the message going to uh, the Gentiles to save the Gentiles, but also to spark jealousy. That they they get jealous and go no we want that back right to to create a jealousy uh, within them. Verse twenty, but Isaiah is very bold and says I was found by those who did not seek me I was made manifest to those who did not seek me he's he's quoting Isaiah sixty five verse one God spoke through Isaiah regarding the salvation of the Gentiles. We saw in Rome, sorry, in Acts chapter eight, the gospel delivered to the Samaritans after Stephen was stoned. Right, all those religious leaders standing around and Stephen's blasting them. Wonderful, you know, you guys want to your brave heart speech. That was his, right? And and he lost his life for it. They dragged him out. They plugged their ears. And they gnashed him with their teeth, and they're yelling at him, running at him, and they don't want to hear anything more. And they drag him out, and they stone him to death. And what happens after that? That was in Acts chapter seven. Acts chapter eight. The, uh, the Samaritans hear the gospel. Right. Acts chapter nine. Paul gets saved. Acts chapter ten is uh, where the Lord sent Peter to the Gentiles. I was found by those who didn't seek me. God said through Isaiah in Isaiah 65, is made manifest to those who didn't ask for me. Verse 21, but to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a dis disobedient and contrary people. Quoting Isaiah 65, verse 2, the next verse, right? Israel rejected God's hands uh, that were stretched out to them all day long, it says. It says he called out to a disobedient and contrary people. Stiff-necked and hard of heart is what Stephen told them in Acts chapter uh, 7. It's just God pleading with them. Would you please take my hand? I'm, I'm reaching it out. Would you please take it? And it says here, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. They're disobedient and they're going to act contrary to what the word of God says. God is just pleading with them. Would you please come out? Would you please just take my hand? I'm, I'm offering it for you. Would you take it? And they wouldn't. God says, if you're not taking it, I'm going to go on to the Gentiles. Just like I said when Moses prophesied of it and uh, you know, all the way back in Deuteronomy 32 and what Isaiah said in Isaiah 65 verses 1 and 2. And we see it actually happen, right? That's awesome. God is so good. So despite you know, Paul's broken heart and outstretched hands of God, Israel didn't believe. And, and, uh, so there's an encouragement that I have for you. If you're discouraged, keep caring, keep praying, keep sharing. 
uh, you know, our responsibility with the with the gospel. Uh, you know, it's it's not our responsibility to, to make a seed grow, right? But we are the ones where the, the, the scripture describes, Paul's explaining, you know, uh, uh, Apollos may have come and uh, I, I can't remember the, the order he says, I may have planted the seed and Apollos started watering. One of them planted, one watered, okay? All right? You guys get the fact, the, the point, right? There's the, the plant, the seed is planted, then another one might come and share something. And when we have those opportunities, share. You know, I think, and all of us want to be like, and then they came to, you know, came to salvation instantly and it was all over. Don't get discouraged. It might take 10 years. Hopefully not. But we need to keep praying, keep caring for them, right? Think, look, look what Paul said. He's just like, my heart is burdened and I'm praying for these guys. And he meant heart, deep prayer for them. And don't be like, yeah, I prayed long enough. God isn't hearing my prayer. Well, I offered it then. God's going to, you know, listen to it at some point, but I'm done praying. Don't lose heart. You know, God uh, isn't done with Israel, and he's not done calling sinners to repent. We can come to him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We are very grateful for the work that you've done, Lord, for, uh, for what we can see here. Lord, help us to understand your great grace and your mercy. That you weren't just striking people dead. But Lord, to, to even to reach out to them. You would, you would provoke them to jealousy. Where others would come to salvation. Lord, your, your great desire is for us to have a relationship with you. And we know, Lord, there's no way for us to establish that on our own. Christ is the end of salvation and end of the law for righteousness. Enrich our relationship with you. Help us to grow in it and to share these things with those that might be confused, might be lost. The simplicity of knowing Jesus' salvation. Help us not to lose heart. Lord, help us to continue praying, to continue caring and, and, and sharing your word. We love you and we, we praise you in Jesus' name. Now, if there's any...